0: Good morning, good morning, and happy Easter. It is so good to be together. Thank you so much for being here and sharing your Easter morning with us. Um, I just love it when kids tell stories, right? Like, it's just the best, because you just don't know what you're going to get. And did you notice that they snuck the Easter bunny into that rendition? That, by the way, is not in the Bible, just uh, so you know. When our son, uh, Jimmy, was little, which seems uh, a million years ago yesterday, and if you know him today, also impossible, but he was little at one point, and, but he loved stories, and um, he also, one time, actually wrote a story, and it was, of course, about some superhero, and to be honest, um, I don't really remember anything about it, except for the very last line, the very last line. He's describing the hero's battle with the evil bad guy. And the story ends this way. And then he killed him to death. (laughs) In case you didn't get the point, like what that means. That is one talented writer, let me tell you right that. Only 15 years old when he came up with that. So proud of that kid. So this is storylines 18th. Easter gathering, 18 years, I can't believe it, and every year, yeah, it's really cool. Every year as I prepare, I'm reminded, of, I just can't get over this, I'm just reminded of the gravity of God's grace, especially on Easter, and so I go back and I look through all the previous talks and I read and I listen to all kinds of sermons and uh, uh, essays and reflections about Easter, and, and there's just so much to say So much to think about and so much to be grateful for on this day. So I want to read a quick passage from the Bible about Easter morning, just as a reminder of it all. This is what the Bible says. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away. From the tomb. And when they entered, they did not find the body of Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. And that is the good news of Easter. The Apostle Paul describes the consequences of Jesus' resurrection like this. Death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The bottom line, the last line on Easter means this, that what is going to kill us won't. What is going to kill us won't. Because Easter kills death to death. Right, But just like there's more to our story than the last line, there's more to the Easter story than this. And I believe when we look at our whole story in the light of the whole story of Easter, we'll find that beyond the amazing grace that what's going to kill us won't, Easter also means what is killing us in the meantime doesn't have to. All of the latest studies verify it. All of the stories that I hear confirm it, and my own life can't deny it. Life is as difficult and as complicated and as hard right now as it has ever been for most of us. We're seeing it across every demographic, Men, women, children, all races, all ages, in every aspect of life, from education to politics to careers and relationships. Gallup, in fact, just released a study that, that revealed that the general satisfaction for Americans is lower now than it has been in decades. Two years ago, we were surprised by a pandemic that sh- and then shocked by social unrest, and we were frustrated and we were angry, but now, There is what therapists and counselors around the country are starting to call an epidemic of malaise. Psychologists refer to it as languishing. I mentioned this a couple months ago. This article in the New York Times was the most popular article in 2021. The most read article in the New York Times. So while Easter is amazing news. It's worth remembering. It's worth celebrating because what's going to kill us won't. It turns out that what is killing us in the meantime is life. Life itself all too often sucks the life out of us. So what do we do? We dig our holes. We try to bury the hard parts. The broken relationships, the disappointing careers, the isolation, the boredom, the anxiety, and the parts of ourselves that we don't want to face, the parts of ourselves that we don't want to see, want others to see or know about. See, all of those things that, like the hero in A Little Boy's story, hoped would die if he could kill the bad guy, but it didn't die. It all begs this question, is God rolling stones? Is he still rolling stones? Really? I mean, does Easter have anything for us in the meantime? So this morning and next week, we're going to look at like the big picture of Easter. Not just what happened on Easter morning, but what followed that morning. How people responded to that morning, And I think we're going to find a couple of surprises that almost rival the miracle of the resurrection itself. Surprises that don't change the last line of the story, but could change every line before it. So we're going to explore all of this as we move forward in our series on stages of faith. And we've covered two so far. And this morning we've come to stage three, perplexity, which I think seems fitting. And one of the definitions of perplexity is to be confounded, confused, mystified. And that pretty much sums up Easter and how many of us feel about life right now. Look, I know what we're supposed to do on Easter morning. It's like supposed to be one big celebration, like the happy song, you know, at the beginning, all the way through, and then at the end. But if Easter is only about the end... And I suspect for far too many of us, we see it that way. Then the middle of our story can get mired in the perplexity of life. If we're going to really rejoice and celebrate where the whole story of Easter wants to take us, if we really want to see if God is still rolling stones, then we first have to get real. We have to get honest with ourselves We have to get honest with each other. We have to get honest with God and talk about the holes in life and even the life of faith. So death may be the death of us, but I would argue that life is killing us in the meantime. And I think we know it. And this hauntingly beautiful song gets at that. And while this song is probably not a staple for Easter services around the world, I'll admit that. (laughs) I'm not sure it's all that far off from how so many of us really feel right now in our real lives. So let's see what the whole perplexing story of Easter is inviting us into. Before we dive into the contours of this this stage of perplexity, let's remember that why we've been doing this in the first place. Why are we looking at stages of faith? And we've said there's three reasons that we're considering Faith in stages. And the first one is like virtually all aspects of the life, of, um, of life, from baseball to grades in school to dating and then being engaged and then getting married, the faith is often experienced and developed in stages. That's normal. Second reason is knowing that helps us to be patient and gracious and merciful with ourselves and with others. And the third thing that we've been looking at is that doubt, or we could say this morning, and being confused or confounded or mystified, being perplexed, is not an obstacle. Often it's an opportunity. Doubt is a doorway to the next stage of faith or growth, maturity. So in the last two weeks, we've dealt with what I think are the two most common stages of faith. Um, in the stage of simplicity, faith brings us easy answers, a newfound joy, a, a purpose that seems clear. This stage is wonderful, it's necessary, and, and God bless those of us who live there. Uh, but for some of us, life gets to a place where difficulties cultivate doubts, and there's no easy answers, and we're ushered into complexity. And the joy and the purpose are still there, but we have to fight for it. We have to search for them sometimes. Uh, In the stage of complexity, for example, Easter certainly has killed death to death, like what is going to kill us is dead, but what is killing us, like on a day-to-day level, life, can still slap us around. And by the way, someone asked me last week, like, what stage do I think I'm in? And without even thinking, I launched into this answer. Well, I'm not sure these stages are all sequential and static, uh, and so it's not that simple, blah, 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 In all these areas of life, we can be in simplicity in one area, and in, com- in complexity in this one, harmony in this one, blah, blah, blah. And then I actually said, so you know, it's complex. And yes, I heard myself say that. And yes, complexity is the stage that I personally resonate with most. I, I think it has been my home for quite some time now. But it did get me to wondering when that person asked me that, like, well, what stage is Lisa in? Like, is she like, better than me, ahead of me? Like, where is she on this, right? And even though I just got done talking about how one stage isn't better than the other, and this, that, and the other, th- that's where my mind goes. And, and um, now, I don't know this for sure, like, what stage Lisa's in, but after 29 years of marriage, she's certainly perplexing to me. Uh, have, you, uh, have you seen these side-by-side brain scans of men and women? It's unbelievable. Totally fascinating. <laughs> yeah. That's me and my wife right there. Yeah. So anyways, uh, that's pretty much how it goes. But I am beginning to wonder if my time in complexity is coming to an end. Because I'm not sure it's working for me like it used to. And this is fairly recent for me. And because the people that I know who are in perplexity, or maybe a better way to describe perplexity is that it 's not so much a stage as it is like a a chute or a corridor from complexity to harmony. So people are passing through perplexity they 've surrendered their need to understand everything. These people like that who have you know they don 't need an explanation or a formula or a plan for this, that, and the other thing and I'm starting to think that maybe they're on to something. The truth is that Lisa is dealing with a lot in her life right now. And she's dealing it with it a lot better than I am. And so I do think it's because she is letting go of this need to figure out the answers. Uh, trusting that the God presented to us in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is bigger than the answers. He is beyond what she can figure out and explain. And he is deeply committed to more than just the end of her story. And I see in her this relationship with the mystery of God's grace that that I don't have. And I'm beginning to think I need it, maybe even want it. What if what is killing us, all the little and big things that are just killing us day to day, Don't need to. What if Easter is not only only killed death to death, but wants to kill what is killing us to death too? If we let it. But that means moving forward, like forging ahead with our faith into places that don't always look like or feel like faith. Like perplexity. So perplexity, as we contrast it with the other two stages we've talked about, it's not dogmatic. There's not this dualistic yes or no, black or white. It's not pragmatic like complexity in its orientation towards life. It's more really, to be honest, it's more like problematic. People in perplexity are like looking for issues. Perplexity... uh, They're looking, people in this stage, they're looking for contradictions. Uh, They often arrive in perplexity um, through a sudden tragedy, a long illness, grinding difficulties, or some other kind of suffering or or languishing. So uh, where simplicity is dependent and complexity is independent, perplexity is almost like anti-dependent. It it struggles to trust others at all. So in perplexity, we tend to move from coach-focused to rebel focused. This is that era where we have the poster up in our bedroom or in, the, in our mind of the, our hero is the person that pushed back against the man. We love it when somebody kind of sticks their finger in the eye of the, the establishment. And so questions aren't only prevalent in this stage, we begin to just grow suspicious by nature and maybe wonder if there maybe there are no answers at all. So we go from easy answers to there are no easy answers to there are no answers. Gosh, it's, a, it's tough. Knowledge becomes all subjective in, in the stage of perplexity, which, which is a fancy way of saying that everything can be deconstructed. We can always say, well, you know, there's another way to look at that until you don't know if you can ever know anything at all. So in this stage, life isn't like a war for power like it is in simplicity, to get the right people in the right places. It's not a game to win. It's more of a protest against whatever is. And that's just how we see life. Now, last week I was pretty positive about the stage of complexity. I think now, after that conversation, it's because that's where I'm at. Um, But it's a stage of curiosity. It's a stage of learning. and it's, so it can be engaging. It can be exciting. But perplexity isn't nearly as fun. Folks who are in this stage are they're not just confounded and confused and mystified. Sometimes they can be frustrated, angry, and certainly feel pretty lonely. Let's just put it this way. They're not getting invited to a lot of parties, OK? That's, that's what it's like. But I think this is one of the reasons that I think we want to be aware of stages of faith. So I think the the perplexity, like looking at it, it's obviously, it's very difficult, right? And so when you look at that stage, it's one of the reasons I think we want to be aware of stages of faith, particularly this one for ourselves and for one another, because experiencing faith this way doesn't mean necessarily we're out Like, it's time to walk away. And all too often, that's what happens. People are, people, like, they just conclude, well, this is how I feel, this is how I see things, these are the questions I'm asking, so I guess I'm done. Or, you know, communities of faith kind of show them the door. A few years ago, a gentleman came up to me, right over here, came up to me after the gathering, he was very serious, and I guess confounded would be a good way to describe him. And he said something like, Mike, I have a weekend home here and have found Storyline. Um, I'm a college professor. I was brought up Jewish. Now I'm an atheist. Life has been uh, really hard lately. I have a lot of questions and frankly, a lot of problems with religion. And then he said this, but I love this and I'm not sure why. Is it okay if I keep coming? And I was like, no, you can't come anymore. <laughs> I didn't say that. It's, such a, it's so cool. He was confounded by life, perplexed by faith, but something about the gospel of grace of Jesus was drawing him in. It wasn't fun, it's not easy, but something in him knew it was good. And I think we see that on Easter on the Easter, the first Easter in the Bible, and the faces and the actions and the attitudes of a lot of people. You see, if simplicity, if you think about it this way, if simplicity is jumping into the pool, then complexity is like learning how to swim, okay? Uh, perplexity is beyond just, you know, splashing around in the shallow end or learning the techniques of the breaststroke. It's being drawn into the deep. It's being pulled forward by something you just can't quite understand. Remember as a kid, tiptoeing down the hill into the deep end? See how long you can keep your mouth above water? And then you slip, and suddenly you're in over your head. That is what perplexity feels like. But here's the point. All three kids in the pool... They feel very different, they certainly look very different. The kid jumping into the pool is having one experience. The kid learning how to swim uh, is having another experience. And the kid who's underwater is having quite another. But all three are in the pool. All three are in the pool. And when we look at the whole story of Easter, I think we see this kind of acceptance and inclusion and a much bigger expansive vision for what it looks like, what it can feel like to follow Jesus. One that's, much more, one that's much bigger and more beautiful and more gracious than I think is usually presented to us. So if we would just give ourselves that same kind of grace, if we will give it to one another, regardless of what stage of faith we're in, or if we have any faith at all, Maybe, together, we'll find both what is going to kill us, won't, and what is killing us. Cool. I love that video. So how does Easter have this kind of impact on our whole story? In every stage of faith, including the stages of faith, the seasons of life that don't feel like faith at all, like perplexity. In the last event recorded in the Gospel of Matthew, one of the biographies of Jesus, I think we get a really surprising and beautiful depiction and challenging model for how perplexity is not something to be embarrassed by, excluded for, but could be and should be embraced and very much is by God. To me, this encounter with Jesus establishes once and for all why we must continue to strive to be a community where simplicity is celebrated, where complexity is appreciated, and perplexity is not just allowed, but included and cherished as a necessary and even a beautiful form of faith. Even if if when you're in it, you don't feel it. Even when we see it, it doesn't look like it. It can be. You see, after Easter, Jesus was on earth for another 40 days. He appeared to many people, many times, in many places. At the end of the 40 days, he told his disciples to meet him at the top of the Mount of Olives. And the Bible is clear that these men knew Jesus intimately. They were his best friends. They were his disciples. They lived with Jesus for three years. They saw him die. They spent almost six weeks with him after his resurrection, walking, talking, fishing, eating, all with Jesus, right there with him. And now, in this moment, he's standing before them again on the Mount of Olives. And, think, and this, is, this is what you need to know. All they care about, they know something's up. They know he's basically about to leave. And all they care about is want they want to be with jesus that's all they care about we want to be with jesus and so what has to be to me the most amazing surprising and certainly the most perplexing passage in the bible these are the final words of Jesus' story and his last words is recorded in the bible this is what the bible says when they saw him they worshipped him now that makes sense right but here it is, the part of the verse that no one sees, no one reads, or if they do, we'd like to skip over it real quickly. We, we really don't want we, we don't want, we don't know what to do with it. This is what the Bible actual really says when we read the whole story carefully. When they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. Some doubted. Now, just for a second, think about that. Just put yourself in that place on the Mount of Olives. How can you be doubting in that situation? How in the world could anyone doubt in that situation? I mean, what else could Jesus do? He was dead. They saw him die. He is now standing in front of them, physically in front of them. The Bible says with open Wounds in his hands, inside, and feet. How can you doubt? What is there to doubt? And yet, here it is. Some doubted. Some doubted. These are not random people who were walking by. These were his best friends, the men, the men who saw him walk on water, turn water into wine, calm a storm, raise the dead, and come back to life from the dead himself. Now, I struggle with doubt in my life. Maybe you do, you do too. But this, like this is doubt, right? This is doubt. Now, catch this. This is what Jesus says to those who are worshiping. These are the final words we have of Jesus. This is what Jesus says to those who are worshiping. He says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I mean, what great news, right? The believers, those with no questions, no skepticism, no doubt, those who are... Uh, not confused or confounded or mystified. Those who get it, who understand, who believe in worship, they not only get to share the good news of God's grace with the whole world, he's going, Jesus tells them he's going to be with them until the end of the age. I mean, it's pretty cool, really. I mean, the worshipers, these are the cool kids. Like, they get it, right? The worshipers get a mission, They get this mission with meaning and purpose and community. It sounds like a flourishing life to me. But what about the doubters? How will Jesus respond to them? How should he respond to the perplexed? To those who've lost the plot? To those who can't see their way forward? Those who feel left behind or left out and languishing in life? you know what that feels like then you need to hear these words to those who are in just a season of life where life is just killing them what is jesus going to do with the weary and the brokenhearted, the people who've dug so many holes in their life they've run out of stones to roll in front of them what's he going to say to them now on this easter morning if you've heard nothing else Please hear this, because what Jesus says next changes everything about what we think the life of faith should look like, what it should live like, and who should be included. In my mind, it changes what the church should look like and who church is for, because Jesus looks at the doubters, men who are doubting the very foundation of the faith that Jesus came to give us, and to them to the perplexed, he says this, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now who saw that coming? Not the worshipers, and certainly not the doubters. Did you? Do we? Does the church generally today see that coming? Hear that word to the doubters? It's truly an amazing, unbelievable, heart-stopping, and if we'll let it, life-altering and world-changing response and invitation. It is perplexing, is what it is. Apparently, doubt doesn't disqualify discipleship. Easter raises Jesus back to life and if we're honest, if we're as honest as the Bible, it also raises doubts. And that's okay. Because God can work miracles in and through the perplexed, mystified, and confused people and the communities who are full of them Worshippers and doubters alike. He's done it from the very beginning. And this Easter morning, he wants to do it again. So God has done it before. Raised the dead. And Easter means he wants to do it again. Like right now, here and now, he is still rolling stones. Because the whole story of Easter, as it turns out, is about including worshippers And doubters together joining God on his mission to kill not just what is going to kill us in the end, but what is killing us in the meantime. Easter is not just bringing death to death at the end of our life. It's also about bringing life to life in the meantime. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this time and this place, this opportunity to come together to remember and celebrate Easter, your resurrection from the dead, the promise that it provides us, the hope that it gives us, the comfort that we take from it especially when we are facing death, when we are dealing with it ourselves, when we are mourning the loss of a loved one, to know that they live on, that we live on, is a great comfort, comfort and hope. But God, this morning I pray that you would help us to see the whole story of Easter, that through it you are trying, you are inviting us, to let your life invade ours in the meantime. That the middle of our story would be about enjoying you, embodying your good news of grace, and extending it to others. God, we thank you for Easter. We thank you for your love for us, the miracle of your grace for us. And I pray that as we leave here this morning, you would help us to grow and remain. Open, alert, expectant, and dependent on you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for coming, folks. Happy Easter. We'll see you next week.